Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and he set it in its place again. He evidently needed lots of help. So uh, he was an impotent god, so they got to put him up on his base again. You know, it's pretty bad when you got to put your god back up on the, on the altar. How can I keep from singing your Hi, and welcome to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. In our lesson today, there is no doubt the Philistines were jubilant and confident in the superiority of their God over the God of Israel. They faced the God of Israel in battle and believed their God Dagon delivered them and defeated Israel. Now, the Ark of the Covenant of Israel's God stood as a trophy in the temple of their God Dagon. The victory seemed complete. Had the glory of God departed? Not at all. God was more than able to glorify himself among the Philistines and their pagan gods. God made this statue bow down in worship before him. Now let's join Pastor Rob. All right, let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel. Uh, For those of you online, you might not be able to see what I have up on the screen here. Um, But basically, I'm just going to have one slide up here for the whole entire duration of of the sharing tonight. And it's basically just a map. It's a map, and it shows the, the course that the Ark of the Covenant had taken and the locations where it was taken by the Philistines, and ultimately when it came back into the hands of Israel. And I think this map will be helpful. Maybe we can get it up on our uh, podcast. We, we have the ability to stick it up there, and you can look at it while you're reading or listening. Uh, it can be helpful. Uh, like me, I'm a very visual person. Whenever I'm looking or reading through something, I like to look at a map because sometimes that map can really is telling and it gives you an understanding of, of things. And, and so um, that's why I put it up here. And so um, let's go ahead and look at um, 1 Samuel. We're actually going to start in Samuel chapter 5 this evening. But if you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 4, that it talks about a battle that the children of Israel had with the Philistines. They encamped in the northern part of of Israel there in a place called Ebenezer, which means stone of help. And then just opposite of them, just a little bit to the west of them, the Philistines encamped at Aphek, and there was a battle. And the Philistines beat the Israelites, and 4,000 of the Israelites were killed in that battle. And so the Israelites kind of go back to square one. They kind of regroup. They start to think about things, and then they make 
<laughs> they, they make the thought or they have the thought of, you know, let's just bring the Ark of the Covenant into battle. That sounds like a great idea. Our lucky rabbit's foot. Let's take the lucky rabbit's foot. And if we rub maybe Aladdin's lamp a little, little harder, maybe it will save us from our perennial enemy, the Philistines. And so they came up with this idea. They bring the Ark into battle with them foolishly. Wouldn't you agree that God is not so much contained in a box? You know, people have been trying to keep God in a box since the beginning of creation, and he is not willing to stay in a box. Sometimes I think he's like Mercury. Have you tried to see Mercury on a flat table or something? It just, it's, if you try to put God in a box, you're going to be on a fool's errand because he will defy being put in a box. He often doesn't do things the exact same way. He's always righteous. He's always just. He doesn't deny his name. He doesn't deny his word even. But he rarely does things exactly the same way. And, um, and we need to remember that. And so the Israelites, they decide to bring the ark to battle with them, thinking that it will deliver them because for the, for the children of Israel, the ark of the covenant was the very presence of God. And if they brought that, it was a shoe-in, in a sense. And, and, but the problem is their devotion was more in the box than it was in the God of the box. The, the God of the ark is more important than the ark. Just like the, the, the temple is worth more than the gold of the temple. You follow me? And so that, that, that's what that is all about. So they bring it into battle. They still get beat. 32,000 or 30,000 more men are killed. And then the ark of God is taken. And it tells us in the latter part of chapter 4 that someone from the front lines of this battle, after they got beat pretty bad, goes back to Shiloh, where Eli was there at the tabernacle. And this young man comes back and tells them what happened and how the Philistines had really mastered them. And oh, by the way, Eli, your two sons have died, and the ark of God was taken. And Eli doesn't seem to be too concerned. I mean, I don't want to underestimate what he might have been thinking. But when he heard that the ark had been taken, that was what really did him in. I think Eli knew because his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were evil men. They had been doing evil things with the worshipers of Israel for a long time, and he did nothing about it. And finally, if you remember, in chapter 3, we saw a man of God, a prophet, really coming to Eli and telling him what things were going to happen. And by the way, he said, this is a sign to you, and one day both of your sons are going to die. And certainly the man comes, comes back from the battle and gives him the news that he already knew was ha- going to come to pass. Sure enough, it did. But what Eli didn't understand is that the ark would be taken. The man of God could have said, you know, the ark is going to be taken, but he only told him about the two sons. So the ark is taken, and Eli is completely undone. He falls backward. The Bible says he was a, a very aged man, I think 98 years old. And he was heavy, too, so he was like Humpty Dumpty on that wall, sitting on that uh, ledge, and he fell right back, broke his neck, and he died. And he died. And then Phinehas had a wife, and she was with child. And when she heard about that the ark had been taken, that her father-in-law had died, and also that her husband had died, she, being with child, begins to go into premature labor, She's boiling over in pain and, 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 and gives birth to the son. And she died in the process. And her handmaid at the time, as she was dying, 
They named the child Ichabod, which means no or inglorious or no glory, for the glory had departed from Israel because the ark had been taken and is now in enemy hands, in a sense. So let's pick up right at verse 5. Let's read chapter 5, and then we're going to go back and look at it. We'll also be taking communion tonight. So let's look at chapter 5. It says, Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon, and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon, and he set it in its place again. He evidently needed lots of help. So uh, he was an impotent god, so they got to put him up on his base again. You know, it's pretty bad when you got to put your god back up on the, on the altar. So <laughs> they set it in his place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. This time the head of Dagon and both the palms of its hand were broken off on the threshold, and only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore neither the priests of Dagon nor any who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us and Dagon our God. Therefore they sent, and they gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines, and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, and they said, Let the ark of God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of, of the God of Israel away. So it was, after they had carried it away, that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. And therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron, and so it was, as the ark of God came to Ekron, that the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought the ark of the God of Israel to us, to kill us and our people. So they sent, and they gathered together all the lords of the Philistines, and said, Send away the ark of God of Israel. Let it go back to its own place, so that it does not kill us. Notice, so that it does not kill us anymore, and our people. For there was a great deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of the Lord was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. So here we have the ark being stolen, now in enemy hands, and God is really bringing judgment upon them. You remember back when Israel came into the land, when Joshua brought them into the land, after they had been in Egypt after, for 430 years, after they had been wandering in the desert for 30 years, they finally come in. And remember what God's command was for them to drive out, to kill everything in those lands, because God had given them a measure of grace to repent of their sin. They did not, and it was hundreds of years that God had given them time to repent, and they did not. And God brought judgment against those seven nations, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites. And you remember that list, and so God brought them in. But they didn't drive out the Philistines. God, his heart's desire was for them to level the field completely. That, that sounds very foreign to us in our culture, but there is a consequence for sin. And God is very gracious. He's very gracious. He's gracious with nations. He's gracious with people. But there is a moment when God has to drop the hammer in judgment, and that's what he did with the, those seven nations. But the children of Israel, they never drove out those inhabitants. In fact, they got comfortable with them living with them. 
and they didn't drive them out, and they became a snare to them. And the Philistines were a constant perennial enemy to the children of Israel all throughout the time of Samuel, all throughout the time of Saul. And it wasn't until David came on the scene that David finally vanquished the Philistines once and for all. But throughout all that time, they're living the consequence of their disobedience. Because when God says to do something, the best thing for us to do is say, yes, Lord, and then simply to do it, regardless of what we think, regardless of what we feel. Because sometimes our feelings will go directly opposed to the will of God. That can happen. And that's where our feelings, our flesh, can deceive us. Now, God is not going to call you to do something that's going to be unlawful, okay? But he's going to call something that may, call you to do something that may be challenging to you. But when he does give you the call, he's also given you the provision. He's already gone before you to give you everything you need to accomplish what it is that he wants you to do. In fact, the Bible, there's a phrase that we use, whatever God calls for, whatever he orders, he pays for. So he's not going to send someone that he hasn't equipped already to go do something that he's not equipped them to do. That's why you don't need to worry about going into the bush in Africa. You know, if you want to be a missionary, maybe your mission is, is home. Maybe, maybe God created you to do that very thing. Not everybody is called to do certain things. The main thing is to be faithful with what God is calling you, and he won't come against your will. He's not going to force you to do anything. He's going to put on your heart. He's going to birth within you something that you're going to be very willing to do. It's going to be a reasonable service. It's going to be worship to him. It's going to be something that you're going to have a passion for as well. And I love that about God. He doesn't force you to do anything. He'll never do that. The devil will force you. The devil wants to make slaves out of everyone. In fact, he has. It's not until we receive Christ that those shackles are broken. And so these Philistines have become a perennial enemy to Israel. Let's go back to verse 1 and let's take a look at this. Notice it says the Philistines, they took the ark of God and they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. So now they're going to be going down uh, to the uh, southwest uh, from this place of Ebenezer, this battle. And they're going to take it to Ashdod. You remember that there were five cities, five great cities of the Philistines. And they were a lord over each one of those. In fact, there was Gaza, there was Ashkelon, Ekron, Ashdod, and Gath. Those five cities, and uh, each of them had a governor, if you will, over them. And so the five lords of the Philistines. And so it says in verse 2, that when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon, and they set it by Dagon. Now, Dagon was a Philistine god. It was a fertility god. And there's some room, to, um, there's some room in this uh, phrase or this word, Dagon. It could mean that he was a half-man, half-fish god, or it could have something to do with grain. In other words, the grain that they would harvest from the land, you know, the wheat and the barley and things like that. But the idea behind Dagon is that he was a fertility god, and many believe that he was half man and half fish, okay? Because the, the Philistines uh, were seafaring people. Remember, they came from Crete. You can read about that in the Table of Nations in Genesis 10. But, um, but they worshipped this god of Dagon from the southern Israel all the way through Mesopotamia and the Fertile Crescent in that area. He was revered and worshipped. So verse 3, it says, And when the people of Ashdod arose in the morning, because here they have the ark of God and they're setting it next to their idol. Think of what a paradox this is. It's so 
amazing to see the difference. You know, it says, And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon, and it was fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And so they took Dagon, and they set it in its place. And again, can you imagine their, their thoughts on that? Well, I'm sure it was just a coincidence. Maybe he was kind of not quite on his base, and maybe there was an earthquake in the middle of the night. We didn't feel it. We just thought it was something we ate the night before, and then he falls down flat on his face. But it's interesting that the, the contrast here is so great. You know, the ark, you know, the, the, which represented the very God of Israel, the God of all creation. He can't be contained in a box, of course, but there he is. You know, in a sense, next to this fallen idol that man has made, this image that man has made of this fallen nature, the result of a, of a heart that was uh, an idol of man, an image of man, and there it is, standing before God. And it just can't be. It just can't be. God is almighty God. There's no one like him. And notice that they, they took Dagon and they set it in its place again. And, you know, whenever you have to prop up your God, there's something wrong. Your God should be helping you. If he's not helping you and you've got to carry him around and you've got to take care of him, there's something really wrong. If your God is indeed Almighty God, he can take care of himself. Unless, of course, he is not Almighty God, and then you need to find another God. <laughs> right? If your God's not all-powerful, you might want to go look. You might want to go shopping. I would encourage you to start with Jesus. And then your, your trip, your journey is finished. It's amazing how many people in the world, they, when they get to be around 19, 20, 21 years old, then they've got, they got to break free and they've got to go experience life and kind of you know, sow, sow their oats or they've got to find themselves. Here's a phrase they like to use. I've got to go find myself. Well, be careful because if you find yourself, you might not like what you find. And be careful what you find. Oh, the world has all kinds of religions making it feel so good. And it feels good because it pumps your ego because I have a say in this. I, if I do these things, I can be right with God. If I just do the right things. But the problem is we can't do right things. Try as you might, you will always fail. That's why Jesus said, you don't have to do anything for me. I've done it all for you. I've taken the punishment of the sin that you and I deserve. He took it upon himself. He's done everything. All we have to do is believe on him. And even the faith that we believe he has given to us, it's, it's, he's given it to us. So he's done it all. We're going to see in this chapter and the next chapter that God could have kept the ark from being taken. And he certainly was able to keep the Philistines from destroying it, which he did. He kept them from destroying it. We're going to see also in 2 Samuel chapter 6, in a few months when we get there, that when David finally comes to retrieve the ark, 100 years after it was taken, David sets it upon a cart like the Philistines had done. And you remember what happened as they're driving along in this new cart, this fancy cart. I'm sure it had racing stripes down the side. Looked probably really good, had those big keystone rims. You know what I'm talking about, right? Keystone rims. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Tony. <laughs> you know, I'm sure it looked really nice, and it was very uh, wonderful. And yet God told them they weren't to carry the ark like that, not the Jews. He let the Philistines get away with it because of their ignorance, because of their ignorance, but the Jews knew better. 
And remember, Ohio and Ahaza, Ohio and Ahaza, when the oxen stumbled and the ark was on the back, he reached out to protect the ark. I'm confident that even if the wheel fell off and the ark fell off, I'm sure that God would do something. I don't think he was too concerned about it. He could do anything. But again, so often we worry about God, and he's more concerned about us, our hearts, where we're at. But notice the position of Dagon now. He is rightly humbled before God. In fact, the Bible tells us in Philippians that all will bow before Jesus. All will bow. Every, every, everything, a man, women, it doesn't matter. Angels, fallen angels, they will all bow before him, and they will recognize him that he is God. And in Philippians 2, what does it say? Therefore God also highly exalted Jesus and given him the name which is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Eventually, everyone, all roads do lead to God, just not the way we think. Ultimately, everyone will stand before God. But there's where the division occurs. To those who have given their heart to Christ, to everlasting life, and to everlasting contempt, those who have rejected his offer of salvation. The fact of the matter is, there is no one like our God. Isn't that true? Can I get an amen? There's no one like our God. And we know that for true. We don't even have to have a pep rally. We don't have to pump it up. It's the truth. And, and that, to me, that's what's so wonderful about the gospel is its truth. There's been nothing been able, no one has been able to come against the word of God. Men and women have tried to discredit this book. They've tried to discredit the Bible. All of them have passed away. But guess what? This abides forever. The word of God abides forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word will pass from the word of God until it is fulfilled. Isn't that awesome? I love that. It encourages me. And it's the truth. But there's no one like God. I love in Psalm 113, it says, The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like our God who dwells on high? who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. He has to, he has to condescend <laughs> to look upon the earth, and yet he delights to do so. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us so much. In Psalm 89, verse 6, it says, For who in the heavens can, can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? Great, God is great, greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise. You still them. You have broken Rahab, which is a, a reference to Egypt. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who was slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours, the earth's also yours, the world and all of its fullness. You have founded them. There's a song we sing right from the Psalms. He's almighty God. There's none like him. Neither could there be anybody like him. You know, that is so good news. I don't know about you, but... Sometimes I have to divorce myself from the things that I know on the earth and get my head in the clouds. You know, we've often been told that, you know, Christians are no heavenly good or no earthly good because they got their head in the clouds. I wish it were more true of us that we would have more of our head in the clouds. There are certain times in history where the church did have their head in the clouds. 
And everyone looks around at them and they're like, man, these people are of no earthly good. Hey, that's okay. That's all right. May the Lord once again give us eyes and a faith that sees way beyond the things we're seeing here. And that's especially- I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585 585- If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.